0: Ray Parkinson and this is the Two Shot Podcast. Pop the kettle on and grab your seat. You sit comfortably, then let's dive in. And it's Thursday. And we're back. And I'm not on my holiday. Yes, I'm back off my holiday. So that means we're back to another episode. How are you? How's things? Well, I had a lovely holiday. Thank you. We uh, went down to Cornwall. We did some paddleboarding, kayaking, lots of swimming in the sea and lots of eating fish. The weather was great. The company was spectacular. It was all in all a very welcome break. A much needed break. Um, So we had to have a break, but we're back. And this week, I got to sit down with the brilliant actor Phoebe Fox. Now, um, I think it was a couple of years ago, someone said to me, have you been watching this new series called The Great? I hadn't. I rectified that and started watching it and fell in love with it. If you haven't watched The Great, it's on Hulu and it's also on Channel 4 and Season 2 has just started, so do yourself a favour and catch up with Season 1. It's Elle Fanning, it's Nicholas Holt and it's my guest, Phoebe Fox. I don't want to spoil it, it's not what you're going to expect. If you're thinking, oh, it's a lovely, gentle um, period drama, no, 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 that is not what you're going to get. It's wicked... It's sexy. It's funny. It's foul mouth. It's uh, shocking. It's just exactly what you want on the screen. It's a massive, brilliant party that you're invited to. So get involved and accept your invitation to the great season two on Channel Four right now. Um, what else? Not a lot. Let's uh, let's just go straight in with this week's guest. This is the two shot pot. <laughs> After all these years, what's going on? This is the Two Shot Podcast with myself and the brilliant Phoebe Fox. Enjoy, and I shall see you at the end. So first off, before we start, just a a disclaimer to um, a certain Phoebe Fox not the one I'm talking to obviously the one who's on Skype due to a due to a um a Skype handle mishap I was messaging and waving and saying hello to a certain Phoebe Fox and it turns out the actual Phoebe Fox I wanted to speak to had a completely different handle (laughs) uh and we got there in the end Phoebe Fox how are you
1: I'm good I'm good thank you
0: you're enjoying the sunshine are you in your garden
1: I'm not actually I'm in my parents kitchen
0: and how 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 are things at the family home
1: yeah, good. We've got a couple of fans going. Um, it's, uh, it's sticky, isn't it? It's sticky. I, I don't think any of us are handling the heat well. No, um,
0: I know, but, like, the thing is, I'm just just—I'm constantly trying not to moan about it because I've got a week off and we're all going to Cornwall for a week. Oh, nice. And I know for a fact that this week or ten days that we're having now is going to be our summer. Yes. And by the time I get down there, it's going to be pissing it down and I'm going to be saying, bring it back, please.
1: That's that's absolutely correct. I, I think you're totally right. This, this is summer, we should lean in. You know, the problem is as well, at the moment, I'm shooting season three of The Great mm-hmm. and I really shouldn't get any more tanned than I currently am. If only just because for continuity.
0: Well, it's funny you should say <laughs> that because I started a new job three weeks ago but I was welcomed to Glastonbury for the first time this year uh-huh. and in all my 46 years, I've never been for various reasons and this, this was my window. So I took it and I grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and I went and it was incredible. However... The read through was two weeks prior to Glastonbury, and I arrived on the Monday. And they said, uh, "Yeah, you look very brown, much <laughs> much browner. You're supposed to be quite a sort of semi-depressed detective, and you look really <laughs> well. So, you know, lovely. Uh, you know, our, our brilliant makeup artists. But uh, yeah, the, they can the, make the, it work. They, they, they can know, make they, it work. They we're, can
1: make it work. But that's
0: that, you know, that's their job, and also our job is to." basically stay out of the fucking sun. Yeah,
1: wear some Factor 50, uh, you know, come
0: on. Yeah, yeah, block it all the way. Um, I was talking to a couple of actors not that long ago, seasoned actors, and when I say that, I mean that in a respectful way, saying much older than me. <laughs> um, and uh, they were talking about... About the the art of filming. And one of them raised the question of watching things back whilst filming. And it was interesting. One of them said, oh, no, I I meticulously watch playback because I really need to know what's going on. I need to see it from a certain person's eye and, and not the characters. And the other one went, ah, no, I don't do that at all. It's all about the moment... And the process, and once that's done, it goes off to somebody else, as we know. And he said, "But he said, but I sort of, I discard it then because it's not my. I've done my job. Somebody else has their work to do on it, and they might have an ever so slightly different take on what I did. But they're going to tweak it to their style. Um, And I don't work with a lot of people that that do." watch playback now and yeah. obviously this isn't a total industry podcast because it's more about you but it was a question that i'm going to ask more people because i think it's very interesting because there's two very different takes that are both valid yeah i think
1: i agree i i i don't generally watch it but only because it's never really felt like it's been on the table mm. mostly i find directors really don't want you to
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and unless you really push for it and even then they generally are quite unwilling I think that there's this idea that you will inevitably hate what you did and will ask for many many more takes And like yeah, be- especially when- well because then yeah. it,
0: maybe it comes and I'm not saying this for you but, but for some people it may come from a viewpoint of vanity because <laughs> I don't know I, I find it very hard to watch myself and just sort of kick back Mm. And then joy, that would be awful, wouldn't it? If you just kicked back and went, let's all come around and watch what I'm doing on the telly, it's going to be great. But no, it just become a vanity, because inevitably you're not going to like loads of things.
1: Yeah, but I also see the value in it. I I, I would, um, especially for comedy, because so much of it is about uh, your physicality as well, and, uh, and and about, sometimes I find it easier to see where the, this is sort of a weird thing to say, but to see where the rhythm is by actually watching it, mm-hmm. and be like, oh, it needs a, it needs a, a little beat there, it needs a button, it needs a whatever, a physicality there to to help with the rhythm. But um, I, I once uh, did a play which they recorded our rehearsal every single day because it was a, it was a extraordinary conceit where I it was. I had binaural microphones in my ears. Right. And um, and the whole audience wore headphones and we acted within a box and they experienced the play through the ears of my character. So if someone spoke into my right ear, um, they would hear it in their right ear. And and so they recorded us every day because they needed to hear uh, the play. Uh, to make sure it was sounding right and they allowed us to watch it back Mm. and i did and i actually found it really helpful uh i could see the holes in my performance and i could see you know in the entire arc yeah the 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 bits that were missing so i don't know did you i can see both sides
0: i mean i can as well but did you ever find yourself certainly in that um instance being overly critical about what you do. I mean also given the fact that you've got the luxury of theatre rehearsal which can range from anything from 4 to 8 weeks, you know.
1: Um mm. um yes, yeah yeah, I suppose you can end up being overly critical for sure. Um and and not being able to just let things go, but uh yeah. But that's but it,
0: of course I think probably maybe Uh, That's the thing with theatre, is the rehearsal's the rehearsal, but it's constantly evolving. It's Mm. never, there's there's is there ever an end point? Yes, Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, totally. In in a way, that's what, it's like the polar opposite to, to TV particularly more than film, is that, I think in most productions these days, you move so quickly that you only really ever have the time for there to be one way to play it. And there's absolutely no, like, you know, uh, room for discovery. It's like there's one way to do this line, and that's the way that I've decided in my hotel room, and yeah. that's, that's what it's going to be. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, all, you know? all the homework is done, and then it's brought to the floor, and it has to be brought very quickly, because there is no time yes. and everybody has their job and you can't be the one stamping your feet going, I need another take because I'm not happy. It's like, fucking hell, the, the clock is ticking yeah. here.
1: Which, again, is why I think they don't, don't even offer playback most of the time, because just a, they just don't have the time. They don't have the time to even play it to you, let it alone do mm-hmm. another take.
0: No. I, I, the only time that I've, I think, in, like, 20 years has been asked... To, to sort of watch playback is when it's not even been about the acting. I mean, to a certain extent it is. Yes. But it's been about a stunt or it's been about a fight. Yes. So it's a physical movement that you need to be here because otherwise it kind of messes everybody else's job up, certainly from a camera point of view, especially if it's single camera. Mm. And it's, it's, so it's more, it's just more about just, can you just stand like there and choreography. Do yeah, exactly. But obviously mm. you want it to be, as natural as possible, you know, but, and if you're not, if you're looking like you're doing a fight scene and it's just looking absolutely pony, then it's like game over. So <laughs> you need to, it's basically, a bit, it's the equivalent of someone picking up and going, can you just stand there and do that? So you yeah, do yeah, need yeah. to see it when it comes to that. Um, tell me about West London. Tell me about growing up in West London. I only say that because I myself am in West London as as we huh? talk um, Are you? I am because uh the production I'm on now have plotted me here because it's much easier to drive me to work in the morning and it saves like loads yeah, of time yeah. um, and I'm down the road from a flat that I shared twenty years ago when i was yeah. when I was twenty three when I was at at Regent's Park, so I walk past that flat and I go down to the shops, which is very odd because I've been back here for ages and it's just changed so dramatically. Um, but yeah. how was your growing up in West London?
1: Well, it, it, just before I get into that, it's interesting because, as I said, I'm in my parents' kitchen, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm also, you know, back at the scene of the crime. I'm experiencing that <laughs> but on a way more intense level, I think, <laughs> which is I'm currently living with my husband at my parents' house, at the in the house that I grew up in, right in my child in my childhood bedroom, which
0: is um, with, with, with your husband in your childhood with bedroom. my husband, right, okay. yeah. yeah.
1: It's been redecorated,
0: of course. Um, the po- the yeah. posters is, are down; all those posters are down. Yeah, the now, posters aren't they? are down, yeah. which
1: is upsetting, actually. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> my legacy is gone, um, but my name is still scratched into the window, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Don't know if my parents ever noticed that. Um, yeah, West London. Do you know what I mean? As a as a as a child, as a teenager, uh, we never left West London. <laughs> the, right. whole, the rest of London was this sort of the Wild West. I remember when I started at drama school in the centre of town. I didn't know how to walk from Tottenham Court Road to Leicester Square. I mean, I just we just never left West London ever. And then, and then when we did, and I grew up, and I you know moved on, I, I came to look. look down on West London a bit, like it was so boring, and and now that I'm back here, I'm viewing it through the eyes of an adult, and I'm like, wow, West London is nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so leafy, yeah. But there are lots of plains, so so that's the thing. Um, but on the
0: plus side, lots of parks, which really lots of parks, which yeah. lots of green spaces, which really help. I think
1: it is. It is. It's an. It's a nice. It, it it kind of feels... It's quite insular, I think, around here. It's, um, yeah, a little bit bougie. I don't know. I, which I vibe with. You know, it's got gales. I mean, what, who doesn't love that?
0: Well, exactly. You, everybody needs their coffee and their pastries in the morning, don't they?
1: Yeah. But it's like my husband said to me the other day, he, we walked along the river and he said, Oh, wow, how lovely to have grown up next to the river, you know? And I said, I didn't even really realise that we were next to the river. It, <laughs> I never walked along the river when
0: I was a it child. It was just there and I, I didn't appreciate it at I all. Just,
1: yeah, yeah, so... Um, I
0: was it a, a happy childhood, Phoebe?
1: Yeah, it was, yeah. I think I, I have a kind of... It was the epitome of a, quite a bohemian childhood my it, parents in are what, in
0: what way? actors oh they're both actors.
1: Well, my, pa- my parents are actors and a lot of people in my family are
0: mm-hmm.
1: involved in the creative arts in some way you know there's artists and documentary makers and photographers and directors and it's um we were sort of renowned for uh, always getting together and singing I remember my what uh, <laughs> a friend of mine from school said I remember so clearly the first night I stayed over at York. House and I woke up to the sound of choral singing coming from downstairs. We were everyone called us the Van, you know, the Von Trapp family, and so it was imbued with this kind of wonderful uh, artistic spirit and uh, no money. You know, it was proper proper bohemian like that. <laughs> um, so but it, I I just kind of remember the kind of romantic side of that, you know.
0: And it is very romantic. That bohemian lifestyle. Yeah, it is. So, yeah. was it inevitable that you were going to follow in some sort of creative and artistic journey?
1: I think it was. Yeah, I mean, I I decided really young that I wanted to be an actor. How young? But I also, I oh god, I don't know, four, five, right. like super super young. But I also, you know, that's what my parents did. So I'm sure at that age, I don't know how much I was aware that that there were other options. You know um but you uh I, there's something completely enchanting to going backstage uh when your mother is playing Cinderella mm. you know stuff like that i really remember and just it it, it surprises me when kids of actors don't become actors because uh, i was just like bowled over as a kid
0: <laughs> yeah I'm, i remember when i my son's at 11 now yeah. and i was last on stage, I don't know, I think four or five years ago. And I remember he couldn't come and see the play because it was not suitable for him at all. It was barely suitable for some adults. Um, But I took him backstage and they showed how the mechanics of the set work and he met all the actors and he looked on stage, he looked out into the audience. Yeah. And I think even though he's been around, he's been on sets, but it's... It's so different. There's a when, when the play isn't going on and you bring somebody on stage, there's such a calm atmosphere, even though it's kind of it's kind of fizzing and it's still alive, yeah. it's a live space without sounding yes. too wanky. But then when the audience aren't there and you bring someone on stage and you can hear the the footsteps, but to bring a child on that's never been backstage before. Yeah. And his eyes, just like, filled with wonder, and couldn't believe. I think that's one of the first times that he went, "Oh God, this is like you do this for a job." Because you know, nine times out of ten, the stuff I do on television, again, he's not, he's not allowed to watch. Um, so to, to bring him into the theatre was a real joy. Mm. But to have that, yeah. to have that as a child, I you know, I speak to so many. I've spoken to so many people over the years. Who aren't um, their parents aren't actors, and they they remember when the penny dropped that they went, "Oh my god, you can do this for a living! You can attempt mm. to do something that you love."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I still um um can just tune in with with the gratitude for the fact that I, I love my job and I get to do something that I'm passionate about and makes me feel very alive Mm. and um you know I uh, sometimes you know I, I very much fall into that actor thing what's that classic joke of uh I think Robert Glenister told me this uh about um you know an actor gets a job and they're talking to their friend and they're like uh Oh, it's brilliant. It's the lead part. It's uh, it's in the West End. My name's over the lights. You know they've got me a driver. I've got the biggest dressing room. Best thing, got tomorrow off.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's
1: it's an that You know I could I am I'm, I'm very much that actor a lot of the time. But I, still, I, I, you know,
0: I think everybody is guilty of that at some point. Everybody, in fact, the two actors that I was talking to when we first started our conversation we're talking about one of the best things about the job is the call. (laughs) And then you go through the schedule and you look about when you're not in or when you've got a late call. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. And then you need to give
0: yourself a short, sharp slap and go, right, okay, I'm really lucky to be in this position and so many people aren't.
1: I think that was what was uh, one of the kind of wonderful things about COVID was that actually when... Um, our community did go back to work. Oh. I don't know about you, but when I started filming on uh, season two of The Great, mm. everyone was just genuinely so chuffed to be oh, there.
0: absolutely. I was <laughs> talking about it the other day at work, and I remember, because I started back, luckily, touch, formica, um, at the end of the, towards the end middle end of the first lockdown, and I was with a friend of mine, Who I'd known for years, and we were both—we both kind of reverted to like being twenty-one, and it was like our first job. We were like Mm. giddy with excitement and like just like grateful, and we just went, "We will never, never moan about anything again," and consider ourselves so (laughs) fucking lucky to be back doing it because I mean, something was everything was taken away. You know, and, yeah. and not just for our industry, for for many people, but like it it, it kind of, it scooped everything out. And I, f- I still felt very raw going back because I went, oh, I haven't really been with all these people before. And I've got to forge these new relationships, which is what we do all the time. Mm. And we, we read people, have to read people very quick. And oh, can I still do that? And I think I, I personally became slightly shyer than what I was. Mm. I found it hard to do this, to meet new people on this, which I do week in, week out. Um, That's
1: interesting.
0: Yeah, it was difficult. I had to sort of... I did have to step down for a while and just control the anxiety. So it was, it was giddy for you getting mm. back to the great.
1: Uh, yeah, but, I mean, because I think on some level, because we were returning to a cast and crew that we knew...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that that level of anxiety wasn't really prevalent. And if anything, when we started filming, uh, we were still in the midst of I think you couldn't meet up with more than six people or something like that. And then suddenly suddenly we were on set and we had, you know, banquet scenes with <laughs> hundreds of people and you're like, wow. Wow, this is super dangerous. No, Um, no, it it felt actually, it was kind of invigorating because you're just like, wow, and these are people are my friends and I'm getting to hang out with them. But uh, I think like you, the the general experience about um, lockdowns and having to retreat made me realise how uh, sensitive I can be in those big group situations. And I think that maybe people that... um, don't work on sets, can't quite imagine how draining it is even just to sit around all day Mm -hmm. um, because just being in people's space and being face-to-face with, you know, a hundred people's energy is like, it's a lot, it's a lot, especially when you've just spent a month locked into your house. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
0: When you say that you knew that you were going to follow a certain path at, at such a young age. How, hmm. how would, did the education system sort of embrace that? And...
1: Oh, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> 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 I, don't, I, don't, I don't, you know, I, I, uh, I'm sure obviously we all know it's different. If you go to Eton or whatever, someone that, you know, those establishments that really take the arts seriously, mm-hmm. um, The schools I went to, uh, I think by the time I got to secondary school and we got gotten to that point where we would meet with careers advisors and I said, I want to be an actor and go to drama school, they were just like, well, good luck to you. They had no idea uh, what I should do, where I should apply for. And I remember doing one of those, uh, you know, online questionnaires about what you should do for a living. (laughs) And uh, I got butcher, <laughs> butcher man. And I mean, look, I understand we need butchers, and you know, but it, I just think, really, in this day <laughs> day and age, of, yeah. like, um, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know what that says about me. But like, what did I answer well,
0: to get that? Do you know what I, I got?
1: Well, oh yeah, go on.
0: Funeral director. Oh. So there's there's some sort of. Um, uh, Synchronicity there that we always, people will always need a butcher and they will always need a funeral director. So yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe they were right and we were wrong. How many times have well, I thought that, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, maybe there's still time.
0: The, no, for, no, for for, no, no, no. I'm far too long in the tooth now. I can't retrain. <laughs> is it? Also, I don't think I have the stomach for something like that. I barely have the stomach when there's a fake body on a, a cold board. Oh, right, you
1: know. I, I I agree. I mean, like I am I'm, I'm quite a sensitive person. Mm. I, I don't think I can butcher animals. I don't know why the fuck. And what did they see in me? You know.
0: I mean, wouldn't it be great to go and look back at that now and see what we answered when we were yeah. young and hot headed? I mean, you're still very yeah. young, so it's fine. You'll be alright. <laughs> Although I'm sure less hot headed. Maybe you weren't hot headed. Who knows? <laughs> So, what was at that age? Definitely not. What was yeah. what was the route? Considering you were given uh, n- not a lot of help f- via school. Well,
1: yeah, so I mean, luckily, obviously, my parents uh, did know mm-hmm. the route to take, and I had um, a sort of extraordinary—I uh, had such tunnel vision at that age about where I wanted to go. And I was dead set on going to drama school to the point where it really didn't even occur to me that I wouldn't get in. I just thought that that was my path. Mm -hmm. I'd been leading that way since I was a child. Finish school, drama school, become an actor. It also never occurred to me to just try and become an actor. I always wanted to do the training. And um, so I applied for, you know, eight schools or whatever, and I didn't get in anywhere. And it it really knocked me for six. I couldn't quite comprehend that. At the same time, looking back, I was so shy and nervous that I... Have you ever been so nervous that you started falling asleep? You ever had that, when your body starts to shut down?
0: No, not fall asleep, no. I mean, I've, there's yeah. been times where, uh, certainly early... On like in my 20s and possibly into my 30s, I've either been so nervous that I've completely retreated into myself or I've been so nervous in a certain situation that I've become very loud and quite northern and quite brash. Like, as, yeah. as, as, as some sort of suit of armour to go, oh, you, yeah, you yeah. can't even get to me. So it's, it, it would spin either way for yeah. me. Tell me. Tell me about that, then.
1: Yeah, I think the falling asleep is like the next step after the one where you retreat into yourself. It's like the next level down where your body's like, we cannot handle this. Like abort, abort, abort. <laughs> Just like shut down, completely shut down. And I remember being on the train going into town with my mum to audition for Rada and I could not keep my eyes open. And that was the energy that I was going into mm. this room with. And God, it doesn't surprise me that I didn't get in. I was so, so shy. Um and then I went away and I, you know, took a job in a uh, an office in a comedy club. And I uh, went traveling and I applied again and again, I didn't get in anywhere. And I was just like, I just, uh, <laughs> but this is my life plan. I don't <laughs> understand what is going on, um, but this is meant to be. I don't know if anyone else got the message on that. Um, and so I picked myself up and applied again and I had that. You know dialogue with myself about wow, I, maybe this is just not going to happen, and what do I do? Do I just continue applying year after year, like when do I give up
0: so, um, so did you I've, did you consider at this point the possibility of of another avenue
1: I think i I thought if I didn't get in the third year that I would apply to do drama at university. Hmm. I wasn't confident enough to just go out into the industry and try and get an agent, so I was like, well I'll, I'll do a degree then
0: but also, what year are we talking about here?
1: This would have been two thousand
0: seven right okay well, so things when I got in thing, well, things were slowly starting to change around that time where the possibility of other routes into the industry was the cracks were starting to show
1: yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, but because um, I, I, I
0: graduated in '97, um, yeah. and there's one way and one way only. You know, you go to drama school, you do your years, and you come out, and you you know, you tr- hopefully try and get an agent and then break in that way. But now, you know, there's much more. There's much more street casting, and there's much more ways that you can you can break in through that other route, you know, the very expensive route now that we've spoken about many times on here. Um, So that third year, you got in.
1: Third year I got in. And, yeah, I remember very clearly getting in. Because, again, I didn't really get in anywhere (laughs) other than RADA. And I remember getting that call. um, I was painting my sister's portrait because... (laughs) In, in true bohemian style i was painting my sister's portrait and uh i got that call on the on the phone from the uh nicholas barter who was the artistic director of rada at that time mm-hmm. offering me a place and I, I put my paintbrush down to take that call and i never finished i never touched that portrait ever again i left it as it was and it has always been up on our wall ever since just in those moments when you're desperately searching the schedule for when your days off are and you just need reminding about <laughs> that desire that you had to be an actor and the joy you felt about being finally let into drama school that half-painted portrait is there to just remind me of that
0: that is such um, a beautiful image and you're no- as <laughs> so fantastic i can almost see it now that that exactly it should not be complete at all yeah and how did it start? How were your nerves at this point? Did you were you did you feel that you were building yourself up to be less nervous?
1: Yeah. So I, the the two gap years I'd had to take, I basically I'd realised in amongst that that I needed to assume a confident persona, even if I didn't feel confident within myself, that I had to fake it. And the more that I faked it, the more that I forgot that I was an anxious person. And it's actually only been in the last two years that I've remembered that I have a deep well of anxiety that is now so well-conceived, uh, concealed, from, that I've concealed it from myself, mm. even. Um, and I think, you know, in, inherently I was born a confident person and then I learned to be shy and... um reclusive and so in a way I just kind of dragged myself back into a more confident persona
0: do you Um, you think that um that trait was wasn't true to who you are as Phoebe did you feel you put on another version
1: which one the shyness or the confidence no I
0: feel that the shyness was you but the confidence you put on that veneer possibly
1: yeah, I think in a way neither of them are really me. Uh, the shyness is is actually not me. I don't think. I think I had learnt to be shy and wary of people, and uh, what? the confidence.
0: Sorry to interrupt. What, yeah. Why? why no, no, why, why, why do you think that was?
1: Um, being bullied at school.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah. How? how I mean, we can we can or can't. D- sort of go uh, into that briefly
1: Yeah yeah I mean it's it briefly honestly I don't <laughs> it's cuz it sounds so dark mm. I actually don't remember I was pulled out of school I had to change schools I don't remember what happened but I know that it was bad enough that my parents decided to move me and that was sort of that was in primary school and then yeah and I think it started there really
0: And did it did it continue
1: of myself as a teenager, I don't particularly think of myself as being that shy, but I think I I think I I think I was just shy of strangers. I was shy of this um the outside world, I suppose. I was very comfortable in West London mm-hmm. with my West London friends, but I very rarely ventured outside of that. So then the idea of like going into the town and going to RADA and doing an audition was like, oh my god totally
0: overwhelming yeah exactly Um, and it sounds like you know consciously or not you've just blocked and you know deleted that part
1: yes yeah absolutely i
0: think to some extent a lot of us do things like that going back over the years there's certain parts of or we certainly tell ourselves a version of something that happened, and then somebody who was with us around that time going, "No, uh, no, it didn't happen like that. It happened uh, in this way," and then yourself going, "No, I mean, I have told this story a thousand times. I know yeah. this is how it went, but you were there and you saw something completely different."
1: Yeah, I, I, um, being back home in my parents' house, I. Rifle through the stuff that I have, had left here when I moved out at 19. And one of the things that was still here was my teenage diary. And flicking through that, I was surprised at how I had already distorted stuff from the age of 19 to 35. Mm. And uh, totally now misremembered how things had gone down. You know, that's why you, you can't really trust memory at all. We, we distort it at our will, and we, you know, there's that famous quote about how we see things not as they are, but the, as we are. So we put the everything through the prism and perspective of our ourselves. That's how we remember things differently to mm-hmm. each other. Right? Mm.
0: Mm. So stepping through the doors of Rada for the first time, yeah. How's that feeling?
1: Yeah. I think I was so unbelievably excited. I mean, just I just couldn't believe it. I just felt like the cat that got the cream. To have spent three years trying to get into drama school and then to get into one, and for that one to be the Royal Academy was just like... Um, yeah, I was overjoyed to be there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Did, did you feel that you were going to just completely embrace it and just drink like everything in because you've you could obviously considered yourself uh, and you were you know extremely you felt extremely lucky to be there after after that after all that rejection
1: yeah I think I probably to my detriment really I was just like I didn't question anything you know I was just a sponge I was just like yes you're right. I am awful at this, and you know, because they like most drama <laughs> schools, they 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 love to do the kind of breaking you down, hold oh, yeah. you back up. Mm-hmm. And I didn't question one iota of that. And I remember there was a teacher that told me that I would never work because my because I looked like a child and I sounded like a child, and my voice was quite high, and um, and so I deliberately lowered my voice. And I remember having this conversation with Susan Wacoma, who mm-hmm. was in my year. Right. Many years later. And she said she said that to me as well. And I was like, Oh, fuck. I thought this was a really insightful harsh, admittedly, but insightful note given to me to help me on my way. But it turns out that she just hated high voices and she told basically every girl in our year that they sounded like a child and that they should lower their voice and it was uh, I was disappointed.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you were in the same year as Daisy Mae Cooper as well.
1: Yeah. We had quite we had a really talented year.
0: Very talented year. Uh, James
1: Norton. But so.
0: certainly, you know, the three females you included that I'm speaking about now, three very different experiences of Drama yeah. school.
1: Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: But we're not speaking about anybody else. We're speaking about yours. <laughs> You said then that you were, you were the sponge and you didn't question anything. How are you, because I always tell my son to always be inquisitive and always ask questions because that's mm. we get there, we, we learn from, from, from failing and, and being inquisitive and asking questions. How are you now with questioning things and, and not in a, in a, in a positive way, I suppose, not in a way yeah. that's trying to derail anything
1: i think i'm still learning to question authority i I find i am in i'm naturally uh scared of authority figures and it's taken me a long time to develop um yeah the confidence that level of confidence to 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 questions to question things and I think there's also something at play in that I am inherently trustful of people and optimistic, and I tend to believe in people's intentions and therefore don't ever question it. And then I'm then kind of blindsided when it turns out that they weren't telling the truth mm. or whatever. Um, but it's an interesting thing. I was just reading a book about um, <laughs> I was reading a book about dream incubation, which is about asking yourself question before you go to sleep. And allowing your subconscious to deliver up an answer for you and um, he's talking about the importance of a question and how the question in and of itself is got so much power and how um, so this is quite a a, a sort of a segue there but but it just reminded me and he says this amazing thing about Albert Einstein said if I had an hour to solve how to save the world or I'm paraphrasing here, but Mm. if I had an hour, I would spend the first 55 minutes formulating the question and trust that with the right question, I would spend the the last five minutes saving the world. So the the power of questions is a really interesting conversation. Yeah, very much so. And And so
0: we should, yeah. We should, I think we should, but you you talk about authority there. Um, It took me a long time to... I had a real problem with authority, certainly in my early twenties when I was starting here, and obviously now I understand now that it stems back from the authority of school that, mm. that 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 wasn't collaborative at all. So whenever, certainly when I was young, like green, I didn't know anything about. When I felt that, oh wait a minute, no, this is a, a television set or a film set or this is a piece of theatre. We're all collaborating. We're all in the same boat. And why? there's an injustice there and I'm going to fight that and I'm going to question that and I'm going to... But it's like an older actor took me aside once and it's the same one that's given me a few incredible pieces of advice and I've probably... Forgive me if I've said this before on the podcast, but he said, um, even sometimes, you know, you may be right. You have to choose your battles very carefully yeah. because sometimes it will come back on you and it will, it will affect you and damage you. And you don't need that because you need to be constantly sort of match fit.
1: Yes. Yeah. I totally agree with that for life as well. Right.
0: Oh, I mean, i look, yeah, I talk to all sorts of creatives on this podcast. It's not certainly about acting. I think you, there's so many brilliant bits of advice that are not even about that can be, um, you know, you can shine a light on that it is for the business but it's not it's kind of for life definitely
1: Mm. yeah my mum always used to say that about being in a relationship you know save your guns for the big fights Mm -hmm. you know save it you know there's going to be a moment when you really want (laughs) you're going to want to use that arsenal and just you know yeah save for the stuff that matters
0: how's your trust with directors
1: a lot um, better than it used to be.
0: <laughs> what, yeah. That's, is that said with hindsight?
1: Um, yes. It took me a long time to figure out that I uh, was sort of unnecessarily combative in that I would... They would say, try it like this, and I was so sure that my way was better mm-hmm. that I would very rarely even give them the space to to allow for their direction. And I, you know that's not good. And I have monitored and and altered the way that I view that relationship as something that can be really um, wonderful and collaborative at the same time. I understand why I was fighting from that point of view, because as you mentioned earlier, um, being an actor, particularly actually I wouldn't say this so much on stage, but on, on camera, you have so little control because at the end, ultimately, they take your performance away and they edit it however the way they want. Mm-hmm. Um, that you don't, that one way to retain, you know, your stamp on it is to really dig your heels in about the interpretation of the lines in the moment. Um, so, so there's that. But I, the more that I have kind of let that go, and trusted the director's instincts uh the more kind of at peace i've been and that's gen- that's a general thing of realizing the more i've acted that um it's all about enjoying the work in the moment and c- really caring very little about how it comes out, <laughs> what the product is mm-hmm. at the end, yeah. what it will do for you, even how good it is. It really doesn't matter for us. It's just all got to be about the process. Yeah. Otherwise you will go absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. But speaking of trust, I'm a big believer that trust is earned. On, on, yes. on, I think on both sides, especially when yeah. you have uh, an intimate relationship with someone that you're working with, Day in, day mm. out. Um yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I used to be quite combative about that. The case in point, there was a I had to there was a line today in a scene that I felt was quite nasty and I didn't f- and I s and I spoke to the the writer and the exec and the director and I said, Look, I need your help with this. I feel that this is very nasty, a nasty line to end the scene on. And it wasn't from Vanity. It was just like, I don't feel he would be this nasty. So we either need to give it a little polish or change in any way, or you as a director, I don't know what, I'm lost. I need your help to, I need to interpret it in a way that isn't just damn right nasty. It's a, it's a nasty button mm. to end on. Now, had that been me in my early, mid-twenties, I would have just dug my heels and gone, I'm not saying this because I don't think that's right and it's really nasty and it, with, I, th- we, I think we need to change it. And I would, have been, I would have gone at it from a completely different point. But I think that comes with kind of fucking up. Yeah. And, and, and growing up as well
1: well and there's also something about obviously your own maturity but and i think especially as a woman as a very young woman on set you're given no respect at all i mean you really have to to grow your respect from the ground up Mm. a lot of directors don't really they don't think that you have anything valid to say that's how it felt and so um I don't. I didn't want to collaborate with them because I felt that they didn't value me. Whereas nowadays, they, uh, you know, times have moved on quite a lot. Um, but also, I think that the the older that I've gotten, people um, um, are interested in what I have to say. And so, yes. Yeah, so therefore, I'm interested in what they have to say. <laughs> you know. And, but um. It's a two way street. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 As soon as you get a sniff of feeling like someone's puppet, you just want to throw your toys out of the pram, don't you? As an actor, I do. Well, anyway. The,
0: well, I kind of do, but also, the trust goes. The tr- once the trust has gone, mm. it's very, very difficult to get it back.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: But you say things have moved on for women. There's still work to do. Oh, for sure. Do you think yeah. do you think that's moving in in a positive direction,
1: yeah, I think so, I think so, but it's uh the problem is that it it's very hard to teach old dogs new tricks
0: absolutely yeah,
1: <laughs> and so there's a lot of pushback um against some of the older members of our acting community, mm-hmm. especially the directors, <laughs> yeah, but I think it is getting a lot better I just it depends on on what bit we're talking about. I mean, I was just, you know, reading up a couple of months ago about there's a whole load of people who were signing a petition about the representation of women over 45. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so sad that that is still still a thing. I think, yes, um, oh God, you know, because I, I definitely carry that anxiety. I truly believed until. I kind of got really spiritual about it and tried to like shed this anxiety that uh, that my career would be over basically at forty five, you know. And I thought starting my starting my career, at, I I graduated when I was twenty three. I thought I was already over the hill. <laughs> I was like, women need to start at like eighteen or less, you know, really to get to get it, you know, a good foothold in, so that by the time they're forty five, they don't lose their careers. I mean, how depressing is that?
0: It's depressing um, and annoying the fact that that a petition like that surfaced and was signed by so many of us and the fact that it's still a thing. It is still a thing. Mm. You know, I mean, last year I spoke to my friend Claire Rushbrook on this podcast who's a fucking phenomenal actor. One of my favourites. And it's taken quite a long time and She's of a certain age now, whereas if this petition you know, was around, she should be worried. But the last sort of two or three years, she's led a film, a romantic film about two uh, people who meet each other in their early 50s who fall in love. That kind of representation isn't on screen enough. She's just done a two-hander about a, a marriage dissolving right in front of our eyes at the National things like that aren't on stage enough. You know, but you know, mm. with people like um, uh, David Eldridge putting stuff like that on stage, it's not going to happen. So we need more writers to go, look, this this isn't about a group of 20-year-olds d- discovering their sexuality at school. That's fine. All stories <laughs> need to be told. I'm not sort of yeah. dissing that. I'm just saying can we just open things up a bit more? And I, I, mean, I do see it, it is happening, but it seems to be chugging along at a, 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 a rather slow pace.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember there was a, this was a few years ago, but there was a, some sort of event, some sort of special event happening at the National, and there was loads of people, really famous actors, doing scenes and stuff, and they had... um and Maggie Smith came up on stage, and she she did a, a speech um, as herself. I mean, she she gave a kind of speech about I can't remember what it was about, but um, about whatever they were commemorating. And in it, she sort of said, like, you know, I'd love to be working. So if anyone, like, you know, I'm still out here, and I just thought, fucking hell.
0: That's Maggie Maggie Smith.
1: Smith. Even Maggie Smith feels like, you know, the phone never rings anymore, you know. It's like, oh, well, we're all fucked then, Uh, if Maggie Smith feels like that. You know, she was probably trying to be funny, but it felt like it had an inkling of truth in there.
0: And I can't think of a better way to end our conversation. Phoebe Fox, thank (laughs) you so much. You've been an absolute
1: It was a pleasure. Joy. Um, thank you. You
0: you take care enjoy the sunshine. Don't melt too much.
1: Thank you.
0: I won't. Thank you. And another episode is done. Um, it was a joy to have Phoebe on. She's great. I've always admired her as an actor, but she's lovely company. And we're both in West London at the time, but we didn't get to meet up in person because it was a bit late. Um, but yeah, I can't thank Phoebe enough for giving me an hour of a time and coming on and just being great, lovely, having a nice conversation. Always helps, doesn't it? Um, what else now? Do you like what we do? Yeah, good. That's good news. Otherwise, you know, there's plenty of other podcasts out there, isn't there? So we are made up that you choose to listen to us Week in, week out for over five years. We started small, and it's grown into something that we couldn't predict. And that is all thanks to you. So, if you can help us grow even bigger, we are over on patreoncom slash pod. Whatever you can give us every month, and you know what, you're going to get lovely things in return. There's mugs, there's prints, there's t-shirts. There's short yeah, short and long sleeve. Long sleeve, I think, controversial. Griff, quite partial to one. There's hoodies for when summer ends. And they are all designed by the brilliant artist, Mr. Stanley Chow. Uh, if you don't know who Stan Chow is, then wake up. Go and have a look on his Instagram feed and check out his Chowisms. They are unique to what Stan does And we can't thank him enough for redesigning and rebranding our logo and all the prints and the artwork that you see on Instagram and Twitter and all social media. That is all thanks to the great Stan Show. So grab yourself some fantastic merchandise, fly the flag for the Two Shot Podcast and show us support. And you know what? Maybe there's one month you can't do it. It's all right, drop off, come back on. Or maybe you've had a little bonus. You go, do you know what? I'm going to sling them at the price of a pint or a cup of coffee every month. It's not too much, is it? Anyway, if you can't do that, do not worry. Support us by sending us a message over on social media, dropping us an email, shoppod at gmail.com. Say hello. Let us know what you think of the episodes. We've had some fiercely strong women for this season so far, and um, I think we've proved that we're just carrying on because Phoebe was brilliant. The response to Terry White's episode is still going on. Um, it's obviously going to go in the podcast hall of fame. Uh, people are saying it's one of their favourite episodes so far. Uh, her book, "Coming Undone," has been bought by a lot of you. Let us know what you think. Tag Terry in. Um, she's very active on um, on social media, although. Um, She is moving house at the moment, so I think she might be a little bit busy with some boxes and a small child. Um, What else? Uh, Nothing else. Should we go? Let's go. Let's go and get on with our day, and um, I'll meet you back here next week. Yeah? Brilliant. Until then, I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been a welcome return to the Two Shot Podcast. Take care. I'll see you next week, all right? The Two Shot Podcast was presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. The remix of our theme tune is by Stolen Verore. Cheers.